Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Big Ten Hoops Weekly. I'm Brett, and I'm here as always with with my friend Steve. Steve, how are you doing? You know, to quote the great Brad Underwood, this is how I'm feeling. That is, oh man, we're we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Uh, and thank you for reminding me. I actually I had forgotten to put it in my show notes, but. Yeah, it was it was I think that that's it was a weird week this week. Uh, I'm unclear on it, on if most of these teams are in the Big Ten are any good. Uh, we're going to discuss it all. Um, so we might as well we might as well dive right into it. Uh, as as Steve kind of alluded to with with uh, if, uh, my, if his microphone is able to pick it up, it was a bit of an up and down week uh, across the conference. Uh, most I mean, a lot of teams in in uh, the uh, conference did not escape unscathed from the loss column. Um, so it was, you know, obviously kind of a lot going on. But I think like in terms of up and down weeks, weird weeks, we have to start with, I, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say the most controversial ending of a game in the Big Ten this season. And that is Thursday's game between Ohio State and Rutgers. Uh, a game that came down to the final possession, which was a game-winning three by Tanner Holden um, after, I believe, Paul Mulcahy missed a free throw. But uh, later later research and statements have shown that that shot should not have counted because Holden had run out of bounds of his own volition. He was not shoved out of bounds or anything like that. And then he immediately went back onto the court, reestablished, but he was the first person to touch the ball. And I know the rules can get a little bit tricky. So the, the way it works is that you're not allowed to be the after you have run out, run out of bounds of your own volition. You are not allowed to be the next person to touch the ball, which is the case, which is what happened with with Tanner Holden uh, before he got that shot off. So it should have been Rutgers basketball up by two with about a second remaining. Now, there have been a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff was made about it. Obviously, you know, it took a what was almost assuredly a win from Rutgers uh, away if had they been given the ball back. The Big Ten has since apologized to Steve Peichel. The numerous like former referees have come out and said, you know, everything was wrong. But that doesn't change the fact that Ohio State is now has, has gets that win. And, uh, you know, after it was able to rebound from from their prior week with a win and Rutgers uh, unable to get into the win column. So it's obviously unfortunate across the board, but. I, I mean, it, you just kind of gotta gotta fight through it if you're Rutgers at this point, right? The, the the thing that's interesting about these types of games is so whenever there's a wild ending or anything like that, it's everything that happened in the you know 39 minutes before that game sort of gets lost. And I think you know what what got lost in this game was you know Zed Key. <laughs> I mean, he, he's been balling lately for Ohio State. He had 22 and 14, um, you know, and, and even flipping to the other side, right? Like Rutgers, I mean, we, we say it all the time, right? But it's it's just so hard to win on the road in the Big Ten. Um, and they'd been gaining momentum, right, over the last couple of weeks um, with Mulcahy kind of with the injury not being as long as many thought it would and them getting McConnell back, they've looked like the Rutgers that we've seen the last couple of years. Um, and even though this actually wasn't um, what I would call like a typical Rutgers defense performance, I mean, Ohio State, um, they, they did turn the ball over 14 times, but shot 46% from the field, 8 and 19 from three. They were pretty, you know, it's a pretty strong offensive performance against Rutgers. 
this is a huge, I mean, this is a huge um, inhibitor of that momentum continuing, right? Like they, they, it really felt like they were on a roll. This would have been a great win to have come tournament time, especially if they end up in a bubble, but they have to find a way to rebound for it now. And it's almost, I think, good for them that this came during a time when they weren't in the heat of conference season. But, you know, un- unfortunately, they had to, you know, turn around and and play Seton Hall for the Battle of New Jersey later on in the week. And, and they dropped that game uh, to they, – they lost that game by uh, – two points in what was a more, I think, Rutgers-esque game. But, you know, you start to look at them, and now you know, they are already got four losses heading into January, and you feel like it's it's going to be, you know, a, a, a bubbly season for them. And they're really – they're in every game that they play, right, just because of their style of play. It's really, you know, it, it's really hard to win at the rack, and they've already got a marquee win at home. But, it's, it, you know – you, you just you hope they can write the ship um, when the calendar flips um, as they go on a long break here. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to put it. I think you know it's it's almost gut check time. I think we'll talk about their game coming up uh, next week. But this this Seton Hall one, this Seton Hall game would have been really nice for them to have. Um, they don't have any really bad losses. I mean, the Temple one wasn't great, but they were without two starters in that game. Um, but on the flip side, they have one notable win and that's the Indiana win. So I think, I think it's really going to be necessary for them to start taking some of these games. They might not be expected to win uh, if they, if they want to be able to make sure that they're, they're not on the wrong side of the bubble uh, come selection Sunday, another team. So I I guess I think the team that we were likely to lead off with uh, before, before all the craziness happened was Illinois uh, had a very strange week in which they went, uh, to New York for the Jimmy V Classic, uh, beat number two Texas in overtime, uh, which required a 10-point second-half comeback to force overtime in the first place, and then the win from there. And then they turn around and just got absolutely run off the floor by Penn State. And you know, I'm I I, I think it's at the point where I can say that I, th- I think I think this podcast and specifically me owes J- Jalen Pickett a bit of an apology because he has been balling out this year. He was just taking it to Illinois. Um, and, and really kind of abusing their guards on the post. Uh, and, but, you know, we'll have, we'll have more to say about Penn state later, but this Illinois team, like it, they really showed kind of the highs and lows of, of what they can be with their current roster construction. And you could see some of it in the, in the Texas game, even though they won, there was some kind of worrying tendencies I saw, um, where they were getting a lot, a lot, a lot of their buckets, especially in the first half, just through a lot of one-on-one play where the offense was super stagnant. They'd give it to Matthew Meyer and he'd just kind of dribble around for five seconds and then hit a step back three. Like, you know, it's great when that's working, but on the flip side is especially against a team like Texas that is really going to try and, and, and force bad shots, force turnovers. And they forced 17 that game and then get out and run. That's not how you normally want to play against, uh, against that team. And it, they got lucky and it worked and they, they did get a lot of good contributions from, you know, Terrence Shannon showed up in overtime you know, Jaden Epps put in 11 points. Dane Danger is still still playing well, um, even in maybe fewer minutes now. But it was it was, you know, a, a kind of play style that looked a little bit unsustainable. And I think we saw the the flip side of that in their loss to Penn State. Yeah, yeah. So I and I think the other thing to call out about the Texas game was just was Matthew Mayer. You know, you mentioned it, but 
uh, we've been waiting for a breakout game from him, and I think we finally got it there. Um, but you could argue on the flip side that like that's an outlier as far as it, it, at least what Illinois shown this year. You know, I, I don't know that you know they're at a point where they can expect that from him. He's only averaging eight points a game, um, which surprising, you know, because we expect him to be a probably a double digit scorer, making two to three threes a game, but hasn't been that way in that case. Who's to say? Um, and, you know, and, and who's to say he could continue to write the ship as we get into conference play here. But, you know, I think it, it's it's two things to me when you look at Illinois. So, number one, just we, we haven't actually seen the Brad Underwood style of play over the last couple of years because they he, he correctly sort of reengineered his offense over the last couple of years to play under Kofi, you know, with a low post presence and, you know, it involved playing a little bit slower. Um, not as much in transition, which we know is his kind of bread and butter. Now he's got pieces that fit that style a lot better, but he doesn't have the star power like he's had in the last couple of years. And so, you know, to the point that you just made when the the game stops flowing, you know, and you need just someone to get a bucket. You know, Terrence Shannon's been doing that a lot this year, but you know, when he shoots two of seven from the four, no three from three in a in a game like um Penn in a game like a Penn State game and turns the ball over three times, you know, then all of a sudden where do they go? You know, you got a freshman point guard, you know, Mayer went two for eight from three, and all of a sudden you get a performance like the one we saw. So I think that's that's one point with Illinois. The second point in general is I think the that up tempo style of play it's it's always a open question of does that work in the Big Ten? Um, Fran McCaffrey is like really the only one up to this point that's gotten it to work with somewhat consistency. And I mean, um, I'm sure you have people from plenty of the other fan bases that could debate that statement, even though you know he's he's put together um, maybe not necessarily championship quality teams over you know, the last decade or so, but uh, teams that are always in contention for a tournament bid. Um, so I, I think that's the biggest open question, too. When it's a half-court game, the game slows down. Can they execute when they need to? Um, and I think it's it's fair to say, I mean, the early returns on that, at least in conference play, do not look very good to start off the year. Yeah, and I think also it's it's going to be something with Illinois. It's going to be the mental makeup of this team, especially with ball handlers that are are so young in, in Sky Clark, Jaden Epps. I mean, they turn the ball over against Penn State almost 19% of their possessions. That's that's not good. I mean, so it'll, the stats will say only 12 turnovers, but in in a low possession game like that, you can't you can't turn the ball over almost almost one out of every five possessions. That's just not going to cut it, especially. Once you get towards teams and not not just this is not a, this is not slander of Penn State, but Penn State isn't normally known for their defense. So when you start playing your your Rutgers, your Purdue's, your Wisconsin's, I mean, you really can't turn the ball over in in those sorts of situations. And, you know, I mean, on, on the flip side for Penn State, I mean, they continued their lights out shooting. They were they were 12 for 24 from three in this game uh, and, you know, still uh, still 11th in the country in three point shooting percentage. So, you know. And the nice thing is they've got, you know, a bunch of different guys. I mean, granted, most of their all of their threes except one came from came from Funk and Dread. Um, you've got a lot of guys that are outside shooting threats. And so even though only five guys scored this game for Penn State, which is very, very wild to me, they're able to do it in a balanced manner and uh, and get it done. Um, so, you know, great game for Penn State. Definitely not what you want to see from Illinois after uh, 
the the highs of the win over Texas. And and I think just one last point on Penn State. This the stat that stands out to me on this from Penn State is is offensive rebounds. They only had three, which to me is an indication that they are dependent on one-on-one scoring and they make a concerted effort to get back in transition um, so that they can't get beat by a higher powered offense. And, you know, when you look at, you know, when, when you look at all their shooters, you know, Pickett, nine of 17, Funk, seven of 11, Lundy, five of nine, Dread, five of nine, they made enough one-on-one shots to win. And that's going to be their formula. It was their formula last year. It was, and, and that's how they're going to have to win. Really, really impressive that they could do that on the road uh, against a top 25 Illinois team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it is that is a really good good pattern to call out because they are 357th in the in the country in percentage of offensive rebounds. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're really going to look to score on that first chance. And uh, that's going to be the key to slowing them down uh, as we head towards the rest of the conference season. So moving on, uh, we Iowa had a an odd week. To, uh, they also went out to New York to play in the Jimmy V Classic, where they lost to very talented Duke team. Um, I don't think that that was really any any big surprise. Uh, you know that that Duke, like we've talked about, this Duke team is very 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 good on both ends of the court, and Iowa has a lot of work to do on the defensive end. But the bigger loss was sustained when it was it was announced that Chris Murray had left that game and the arena in a walking boot. Uh, he has not played since. He missed both the win over Iowa State and the loss to Wisconsin. And I mean, I, I would say that as a podcast, we are lower on Iowa than the consensus. Uh, we did not have them ranked very highly in our preseason informal poll and, uh, you know, have kind of urged cautious optimism until they show that they can play defense in a way that matches up with their offense. Um, but, I mean, they were able to turn around and just whooped the crap out of Ohio out of Iowa State uh winning by 19 uh holding Iowa State to 3 for 22 from 3 um you know making 12 threes um you know that that game was a huge coming out party for Philip Rabracha um who you know I still have my doubts on if he can really be an effective Big 10 starter but really nice game uh with uh I believe 22 and 11 and four assists. So they were really trying to figure out where the offense would come from with Chris Murray out, um, you know, got some more produ- offensive production from, from Connor and Patrick McCaffrey. And so it looked like they had sort of righted the ship a little bit. And then they had this game against Wisconsin today where, I mean, it was, it was kind of back and forth for a while. It looked like no one, the off the offense had kind of gotten off to a standstill. Then both teams kind of caught fire down the stretch. And in overtime, uh, Patrick McCaffrey had a career high. Um, so it, it's, easier to see where you know they're they're able to get offense Aaron Euless also did sit out against Wisconsin with a with a hip injury um so it's it's good to see the McCaffrey's really uh kind of stepping in and getting getting the offense flowing where they could but the defense is still an issue they're every time they post double it's so easy for the other team to get a an, an easy interior bucket and that's really got to be cleaned up especially without if if Chris Murray is going to be sitting out for for a bit longer I, I, I hear you on all that. I think even zooming out, like you look at I, I, this might be a little bit of a controversial statement, but I was probably got one of the more solid just resumes heading out of the non-conference season. Just kind of looking at it. It's not it, it's not flashy, but when you just look at like kind of power five slash 
major um, wins over teams from major conferences. You know, they have a win at Seton Hall. They beat Clemson. They beat Georgia Tech. Um, they, they beat Iowa State. Um, yeah, it would have been nice for them to get this win over uh, Wisconsin that they, they dropped at home. But I, I think kind of like what you alluded to when you first started talking about them, we were really, really down on Iowa to start the year. And I think they're solidly in position where, you know, they, you know, 11 and 9, 12 and 8, they're a lock for the tournament. So, yeah, you know, we need to monitor these injuries uh, because their season's going to, I think, start and end with Chris Murray and him being healthy is, you know, really a, a key for that. Um, but I think they're in a really, really solid position for the postseason, which I don't think we can say about some of the other teams in this conference that we maybe had slotted higher than them to start out the year. Yeah. And I think I'm, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it is almost, it is, it is not within, it is not outside the scope of logic that Fran McCaffrey cost his team the, Wisconsin game by getting uh, a technical foul for yelling at the refs. This is his first one of the season. He's been much more restrained recently, but I mean, in a, in a, in a close game down the stretch in the second half, you, you cannot be at risk of, of getting thrown out. And, you know, he, he gifted Wisconsin two two free throws and they made both of them. But, and you know, so that, that's, that's always something to be cognizant of when you've got, when you've got McCaffrey on your bench. Um, but, you know, I really liked what they showed today against, against Wisconsin um, really kind of not, not giving up uh, after a really poor offensive first half when the threes weren't falling. And it's good to see that at least they have more offensive firepower they can bring in and moving on. So uh, one of the few teams to remake to exit this week unscathed uh, is the Wisconsin Badgers who handed Maryland their first loss of the year um, and then went into Carver Hawkeye and got a big win in overtime, as previously mentioned against Iowa. It really like, you know, I was it, you joke about this, but I really do think this Wisconsin team is fairly incapable of playing a normal basketball game. Every game they've played, uh, or I guess since since the Green Bay game, so one, two, three, four, five, six games in a row have been within five points. Two of them have been in, three of them now have been in overtime, counting Iowa, and they've they've managed to escape a lot of them. Uh, and it is. Very interesting. They're, you know, they're still a team that's going to hang their hat on their defense. Uh, the offense is still very much a work in progress, although it seems like they've taken the lid off the uh, the basket when it comes to layups, uh, which I've heard you really need to win basketball games. So what did you see out of this week or out of Wisconsin this week, uh, Steve, that caught your attention one way or another? I mean, I, I think I saw what even the more traditional Big Ten fan is used to when, you know, they see Wisconsin play. Which, um, and again, I mean, you may even be being generous when you say that they can always hang their hat on their defense because, I mean, I think, you know, statistically they have a good defense, but, you know, it's similar to Rutgers in that they control possession. You know, it's, it's really hard to run away from them. Um, but, but I mean, they're doing it with, like, out elite athletes and playmakers that maybe they've had in the past, which is, you know, you can make an argument that that's arguably – I mean, if if this team like get, gets a double buy in the Big Ten tournament, this this might be Greg Gard's best coaching job because I mean, you, you credit credit to Tyler Wall, you know, but like Chucky Hepburn's been up and down, you know, like it's just the 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 thing that strikes me about this lineup is they've got 
they've got seven guys and they can all kind of do like, there's, there's not one guy that's like, you know, dragging the rotation down. Like, right. Like it never shocks you to see one of those seven guys get double digits, but like they're, they're never going to do worse than like five or six points a game. And so that it, I don't know if balance is the right word, but it's just like the combination of, you know, not turning the ball over playing decent defense and, and, and balance, like, despite the fact that they don't have really like a superstar, I mean, again, we hammer home roster continuity and it's not like they had that much roster continuity, but like this, it, it feels like a very Wisconsin team. It's just a question is over the course of a long big 10 season, when you need guys to start making one-on-one shots, like will Chucky Hepburn be able to do that, you know, and carry this team in ways that like superstars have for them in the past. I think that's what it's going to come down. Yeah. And I think we've seen, as you kind of alluded to, we've seen both sides of the coin with, with Chucky Hepburn. Um, Cause he had a truly terrible start to the season. He's still, I believe shooting under 30% at the rim, um, but you'd see, you see games like Marquette where he didn't miss a single shot the first half, got hurt and then came all, came back off the bench, you know, after I, whatever they did in the locker room and, you know, hit, hit a couple clutch threes down the stretch to, to seal the game, get a, hit a rough game today, but came up with a clutch steal at the end, made a couple clutch free throws. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really been a team effort from, from Wisconsin. There's, there's really none of their three best players there's been very few games where two of them have been on. Um, but I think we're also seeing a, a big improvement from Stephen Crowell, uh, looking more assertive on the court. And his passing has has really kind of opened up the floor uh, for how they want to play and space the floor. I, I think the other thing that, though, we need to talk about in the context of Wisconsin's week is just, you know, what the hell is going on with Maryland now? Um, and and uh, so, you know, Maryland went into this week undefeated and the surprise of the big 10 season. But, um, you know, as we know about this conference, dreams can die quickly. Um, and the Cole center being one of those places where, you know, most dreams always die, uh, maybe not of late, but, uh, Maryland got a rude, a rude awakening this week. Um, n- n- not any of these losses were bad losses, no shame in losing at Wisconsin or, um, a neutral court to a top 10 Tennessee team. But I guess, I guess, are we starting to see, you know, them come back to earth a little bit? Or I guess, yeah, what what do you make of Maryland's performance this week? So I I thought that in their game against Wisconsin, they did a really good job kind of fighting back from a, from a double-digit deficit uh, to, to make it really, really close game. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're really seeing the impact now of, of kind of, Willard's first season, and there's not really much of a bench. They're still really only playing eight guys. Uh, and, you know, Scott Hart and Reese are having really nice seasons. Jameer Young's had some solid games. They didn't they didn't play good enough defense. They're leaving points at the line. Uh, they were 7 for 12 from the line against Wisconsin. And they're, they shot 8% from three against Tennessee. So I think they were uh, 2 for 24 from three. And Tennessee had 21 offensive rebounds in this game today. Yeah. That is not a typo. It's 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 really hard. I mean, they're not they like like I said, their starting five is very good, but it's just not very big. Also, like they're they don't have the size to to hang with with, you know, Plavsic and and Akawa. And this is a team that wasn't even that were missing, I believe, two starters also for Tennessee. So, you know, it, it does happen. Tennessee is a really good basketball team. This is that's not, you know, Maryland's fault. And this was a really close game. But I think we were 
a little concerned about Maryland finding ways to manufacture points. And if they're, if their threes aren't going down, this team is going to, going to have more trouble than their early season returns would, would have you believe is, is what I would say. Since this is probably the likely to be the last time that we talk about a Rick Barnes coach team until March, do you want to talk about your favorite thing to say about Rick Barnes? Yes, this is shout out to Spike Friedman, ex Grantlander, who uh, you know would always play America's favorite game, in which we remind America that Rick Barnes didn't make the Sweet 16 with Kevin Durant, and that game is called America. Rick Barnes did not make the Sweet 16 with Kevin Durant. So thank you for listening to our our segment on America. Rick did not. Rick Barnes did not make the Sweet 16 with Kevin Durant. Um, don't worry, we will be bringing it up again in March as we as we prep you all to fill out your brackets. <laughs> now that 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 has concluded the SEC portion of our show. Um, so yeah, Maryland, like weird, weird game, but you know, they're still, they're still having a good early season, still no bad losses. Um, nothing to be alarmed about, uh, especially in the first season of Kevin Willard's tenure in, in the theme fitting with the theme, uh, Indiana odd week. Uh, so they obviously, you know, we, the last we talked about Indiana, they had just been blown out by Rutgers at the rack. Um, and so we kind of circled that game for, uh, Indiana coming into uh, the game against Nebraska as a you know get a get right game kind of reestablish figure out what what you do well and do it. It helps that Nebraska did not have Sam Griesel, uh playing that game, uh, but they really Indiana worked really well to control the perimeter defensively as Nebraska was six for twenty three from three, and they were honestly a really good balanced offensive showing from Indiana. I know we've been maligning them so to speak about their lack of shooting and we'll talk about that in just a second but uh you know 11 threes 44 percent from the lot from from distance and really balanced effort from kind of across the board getting thir- uh, 20 points from trey galloway 19 from tamar bates who's really really looked impressive this year much more much more confident and, and better looking shot uh than what we saw last year and you know it's, it's it was good to see Indiana really have a full team effort. Uh, the one then then there there was also news that they're currently playing without uh, Jalen Hood Shafino, who I believe is a back injury uh, that kept him out of their game against Arizona. So they went to Vegas and played Arizona there. Um, and I mean again, like Arizona's a really good team, and I think they've just they've got just kind of seven guys that really really could be starters anywhere in the country. It's a very, very good Arizona team. There's no shame in losing to them. But the way that Indiana lost this game was, you know, they they eventually kind of cu- they eventually started hitting their shots kind of midway through midway through the game. So like, you know, kind of end of the end of the first half, beginning of the second, um, were able to shoot better. But it's it was very interesting. And I, I don't think you can really rely on Race Thompson to make four threes in a game, uh, including three in a row at one point. But the way that Arizona was defending Indiana was just packing in the paint and really kind of limiting the flow of their offense because you can just play off of Thompson for the most part, and you can play off of Trace Jackson Davis whenever either of them get the ball outside the paint, basically. So it really kind of disrupts Indiana's flow. And then when Xavier Johnson picked up his second foul without Hood Shafino, they didn't have a secondary ball handler, and things just kind of got away from them in, in the, you know, after Johnson got banished to the bench. So I think. You know, Indiana did some things well. They had, they did end up hitting 10 threes. Uh, they made their free throws. But 
I mean, there were they gave up 16 offensive rebounds to a very, very big and physical Arizona team. So, like, again, not the end of the world, but I mean, they just without especially without Xavier Johnson, we're just not having any sort of flow offensively. Yeah. And we know that Arizona's kind of had their way with quality Big Ten opponents over the last couple of years. It's not easy to go out there to L.A. and. And I'm sorry, not easy to go out there. To, it was to, to Vegas, you know, in the West Coast there and, and win that game in prime time. So, um, again, not, I wouldn't um, freak out if you're an Indiana fan. Um, but nonetheless, I think some areas for concern and maybe blueprints for other team as far as the defensive game plan to stop them. And just a couple other quick hitters as far as other stories around the conference. So, um, one game just call out. So, Michigan went on the road to Minnesota and the, the you know, they, they won in what was a blowout there. The story there, Jalen Llewellyn, their starting point guard out for the year at the torn ACL. So it's the Doug McDaniel show. They turned to a true freshman. And, you know, the first game was, um, I think really good. You know, I think we'd seen from Michigan over the last week that they're hanging tougher with high quality opponents. And, you know, they just walked Minnesota who, might be the worst team in the conference, but nonetheless, good sign there for them to rebound without their starting point guard. Um, and then, you know, Purdue survived the test from Nebraska. So we didn't talk much about Nebraska um, uh, today, but, uh, you know, you know, they're coming off a big win against Creighton and, you know, played Purdue to overtime um, in Lincoln this weekend, but Purdue is able to eke out a win. I mean, you know, an off night for Zach Eady. He still put in 11 and 17. Eady's leading the Big Ten in like every relevant um, statistical category for 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 big men and and just for guys in general. 22 points, um, averaging 13.7 rebounds, 2.3 blocks. He's even like he's even um, he even has one assist per game, and he's making 71% of his free throws. So like he's uh, we're continuing to see his dominance even on a night that he, you know, wasn't particularly dominant. Um, I just, just want to, in terms of you, it, I don't even think you've gone far enough to talk about how good Edie's been. He's blocking a shot almost eight percent of defensive possessions. That's crazy. He had seven blocks against Nebraska. He's a monster. It's crazy. Sorry, continue. So th- that that's really it as far as I think our preview, as, as far as the recap. So. Heading into next week, um, it, it, a lighter schedule just given finals across most of the schools. Um, there's one notable game in the middle of the week, which would encourage you all to tune into when UCLA heads to College Park. Um, I, I really want to make a joke about this being like a preview of a Big Ten game coming up in the future, but that's not the case yet. I don't know how, honestly, like Maryland got this game scheduled and got them to come out there. But, um, you know, we just talked about Maryland having a really, really tough week. Well, um, here's here's an opportunity to, you know, really rebound. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much they have to they have left to prove to us that they're like back and relevant. But um, as, as we get into like start looking at opportunities for tournament wins, uh, for, for like tournament resume boosting wins, um, it would be great to have this one because they've got a win over St. Louis. They've got a win over Miami. They've got that win over Illinois. But I mean, this would really, I think, solidify them going into conference play 
um, if they want to make the tournament this year. Brett, what other games are on your radar for this week? Yeah, so as you said, kind of a lighter uh, lighter slate with with uh, everyone finals uh, taking finals. And in, in, in if you missed Brad Underwood's uh, post game press conference, I highly recommend checking it out because not only did he audibly make a fart noise into the microphone, but he also hoped that his players were having a miserable time uh, as they prepped for finals, knowing that they had just put forth a crappy effort. Uh, so some some real gems in there, but. Uh, the first one I have my eye on is Indiana, Kansas, uh, another really tough test for the Hoosiers as uh, as they head into the meat of their conference schedule. I believe this is a true road game also. So they will. Yeah, they will be going into Fog Allen Fieldhouse uh, to play a, a very capable Kansas team. Um, going to be one of those things where I think their Indiana style of play is going to be more conducive to this game than it was to Arizona, uh, even though Kansas is higher regarded. Um, it's going to be about slowing down Grady Dick and having just kind of people run around screens and, and really try and get it. And then, you know, Kansas has some some weaknesses inside uh, that Trace Jackson Davis and, and Race Thompson can exploit. But uh, it's going to be one of those games where the Hoosiers are going to need to hit their shots. Um, and then. I also have my eye on Wake Forest, uh, Rutgers, um, you know, Wake Forest is a team that kind of goes as Tyree Appleby goes as Wisconsin found out. Uh, and that's how, that's who you're going to need to shut down. So I would imagine seeing a lot of Caleb McConnell on him, uh, and probably some Mulcahy. And I think that it's just going to be one of those where Rutgers just kind of has to flush, uh, the Ohio state game and really, uh, just kind of work on being solid defensively and doing enough offensively to get the win. What else you got your eye on on Saturday? All right. A couple quick hitters to finish this off here. We've got the battle to be Chicago's college basketball team taking place. We haven't mentioned Northwestern yet on the podcast. They're taking on DePaul on Saturday. Um, and you know, again, we sit here with Northwestern at seven and two. Um, again, a good opportunity to, you know, DePaul is not going to, uh, it's, it, it, you know, it's not like that'd be a good win. It'd probably be a bad loss if they lose that game. But nonetheless, uh, opportunity to get a win over a Big East team. Got North Carolina taking on Ohio State at the Garden. Um, you know, North Carolina, their struggles have been documented nationally if you're in the loop with that. But um, I, I think the, the big man matchup, you know, this is actually, the I think, the second game that North Carolina's played against a Big Ten team. And they've got another game coming up against Michigan later in the year. So, They'll be familiar with us by the end of the year, but I'm looking at the big man matchup in Baycott and Zed Key there. And then the second instance of a Big Ten team going into the state of Kansas on Saturday when Nebraska takes on Kansas State. We know Nebraska's hung tough um, the last couple of games coming off that win over Creighton. Let's let's see how they do against another Power 5 opponent. All right, I think that's all we've got for you guys today. Um, thanks for tuning in. We'll be with you next week to recap the lighter week. Um, things are quieting down a little bit as uh, we head into finals period and the holidays, but basketball still rolls on.